world that we are so close to creating will never be. This is the old Elliot. A coward who can't face the truth. You're asking the impossible. You leave us alone forever. <laughs> the universe got big plans for us, bro. I want you to accept the hard truth right here, right now. You know the secrets of making friends? They are so simple and easy. The Cockpit Ah, welcome back to the Coffee Clatch crew. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And I'm Ryan Gemmel. Ryan Gemmel's here again. again. <laughs> yeah. We're back with a second installment of Mr. Robot, and today we will be reviewing Episode 6, Brave Traveler, and Episode 7, View Source. Just a quick couple of notes on Episode 6, Brave Traveler. It was directed by Deborah Chow and written by Kyle Bradstreet. The origin of the title, Vera the guy in the gang that we see featured prominently in these episodes, he explains that Brave Traveler is the meaning of his last name and also how he sees himself. We talked a little about the titles last time and the way they're written out. This one has the extension .asf for audio video streaming. What I thought was cool, a couple of side notes, the watch that Scott Knowles offers to Terrell in that very intense scene that I can't wait to talk about is actually a real watch. It's called the Patek Philippe Sky Moon, and it's valued at roughly $1.5 million. Whoa. So he wasn't joking about that. That's a pretty nice down payment. That's ridiculous. I have also started noticing some of the art and the music in these episodes, The painting in the opening scene of episode six is by a Dominican poet and painter, Gilberto Hernandez Ortega. He was a real surrealist painter, considered one of the finest of his generation. And the music, Some Velvet Morning, recorded by Nancy Sinatra in 1967, plays under the opening credits and Elliot's monologue. At the time of its release, it was regarded as a druggy, psychedelic song with an undecipherable meaning. And I love that. That makes sense. <laughs> you know how we love following the music throughout TV shows and trying to figure out what it means. Yeah. So I liked this backdrop to it. A little synopsis about episode six. Shayla is kidnapped by Vera's brother Isaac and his crony DJ. They force Elliot to hack Vera out of prison in exchange for Shayla. Despite Mr. Robot's attempts to persuade Elliot to walk away and let Shayla die, Elliot visits Vera in jail as a front to sniff for the prison's network. Meanwhile, Scott Knowles reveals to Terrell that Sharon told him about her and Terrell's bathroom incident, humiliating Terrell in the process. After he smashes his kitchen in rage, Joanna tells him it wasn't all for nothing. While Terrell was wrong about Sharon's exploit, they now know about it. She wants to be wanted. So let's talk about those two scenes, starting out with um, (laughs) Shayla being kidnapped and Elliot learning that he has to hack Vera at a prison in exchange for her. Well, this was definitely, pro- definitely, probably, this was probably one definitely. of the more. <laughs> <laughs> this was probably one of the more uh, intense episodes so far. Oh, absolutely! So much going on. Oh yeah. Both- I just liked how in the beginning I was lost. I was like, Sheila was kidnapped, and now they're sitting in a restaurant 
hugging each other. Didn't know what was going on? Was it a dream sequence, or I didn't know where they were going with it? Oh yeah, how they started it. I was like, wait, yeah. I thought they were kidnapped. Now they're just eating and just had a bad day. Yeah, that's what I like about this show so far. They don't seem to repeat a lot of their ways of going about doing the show. Yeah. It's it's constantly different. So in this one, we're treated to realizing a little way in that we're going to get flashbacks to how things used to be and then flash forwards. And But this one wasn't even a flashback. It was just that they were out eating. And they right. were, oh yeah, the guys were there and, watching and them. You think you're you're kind of wondering why is their exchange so intense? Yeah, between right. her and Elliot, and you couldn't really figure it out. And then it just keeps panning wider and wider into the restaurant until you figure out that they're being watched. And doesn't feel real. You should eat. Not hungry. I don't even know what I ordered. I'm sorry. You don't like the guisada? I know it's it's good. Thank you. What are you thinking about? First time we met. Doesn't feel that long ago. Now look at us. Who would have thought? If I could go back and undo this. You can't. You promised me. I'm gonna get you out of this, okay? Time's up. Let's go. And just a lot of cool. Is this directing? The way these things are writing, directing, cinematography. Yeah, it was just a very, very cool way of doing it because I'd never seen like uh, any type of like prove that someone exists or that they're okay in that manner. And everyone in the restaurant didn't even blink an eye when they pulled them out of there. So then you immediately knew that, oh, this is their gang's regular place that, you know, everyone knows about it and they just, no one's going to say anything. Yeah, you got a little bit of that tip off from the older waitress when she stopped and took a minute to look at Shayla. And you'll see, you'll notice little things like the way they film, and we'll get into that deeper, the, the way they crop the people and also the color yeah. and the songs in the background, which you already uh, touched upon. Yeah. That was a very yellow scene. It was very mm-hmm. mild, like just kind of mildewy yellow. Tense. Intense. Ugly. Yeah. yeah. But they often, you know, they have characters whose actions are hard to predict and they put them in situations we never see coming. And it's a perfect formula for making the viewer lean in and like pay attention constantly. Absolutely. Which I really enjoy. What did you think about Mr. Robot trying to persuade Elliot not to do this and just to walk away from this whole thing, that it was a zero-sum situation, as he called it? We go through that all the time. I mean, it just, again, solidified that he's uh, his subconscious. You know, it's a personification of this little voice in his head because that's what you go through when you have something going on. You're like, fuck it, man, you don't need to do this. Why do this? Who cares? Just let it go. 
you know? So is it like the angel and the devil on his shoulder? Mr. Robot is sort of the self-serving, darker side of him that in this situation is saying, walk away. There's no way that you're going to live through this situation. So why kill both of you? She, she's dying either way. Might as well save yourself. Not just that, he was, told, he was right. That there was, if, he would, if Elliot would have just walked away, it would have been the same outcome. Well, that chick would have been dead, though. I mean, actually, the brother would be alive, but, you know, Shayla would still be dead. She was dead the whole time. Yeah, and perhaps it would have been better because now he's just freed uh, who knows how many criminals out of this prison on top of Vera, potentially violent, dangerous criminals, and she's dead either way. But Darlene would have been dead, too. We don't know that for sure, though. His plan was to call the cops and then say they were holding him there and then... You know, get it all sorted out. He um, kind of inadvertently brought her into that mess because he needed her help in figuring out the right. code to break her out. So, had he walked away in the first place, she might not have gotten involved. But she was already in the she was already in the room. Right. Trapped. Well, that's that what she's too. saying. She's saying that Elliot called her into it to oh, help okay. him with the so. code to break Vera out of prison. So, I mean, I don't know. It's it's an interesting thought. And I just keep going back to our prediction of the fact that Mr. Robot doesn't exist. And there's times like this, certainly the likelihood is that it is part of Elliot's psyche. But here it was so different from something I pictured Elliot saying, even the self-serving darker part of him, that it made me kind of wonder again, Mm -hmm. is that really something he would say? Or is this a separate entity pushing him? I don't know. It made, made me question things a little. Let's talk about the next scene that I really loved between Scott Knowles and Terrell in what looked like a boardroom. So oh my powerful. goodness. That was crazy. If before we even get into what they talked about, that's one of the examples of the way they film and the way they crop the characters out. Yeah. We spoke about that during the episode. When when Tyrell was in the meeting room uh talking to Scott, just look at the way they shot it. The single shots where they had you know, it was frame per frame. Whoever was talking, they just had them on, on the frame. As they, their argument or discussion escalated, mm-hmm. they started to chop their heads. Uh, they started to chop their heads in more and was- crop them really close to the bottom left of the screen. Well, it was, it was countered because when we saw Scott, he was on the bottom left. And his head was a little bit larger, almost like he was grounded and in more of a position of power. And then they would go over to Terrell, and he would be more in the top right corner, and his head looked smaller, Mm -hmm. as though he was kind of floating away. (laughs) You know, he he was kind of being overtaken by the conversation. And what I thought was really cool was at parts where he reclaimed a little bit of the power, the shot made him a little bit larger. Yeah. Terrell got larger within yeah. the frame because he was kind of coming back at Scott. And then it, it kept going back and forth. It was a really interesting way of drawing our attention to the importance. Yeah, but even how close they had it to the corner of the screen. Yeah. It created right. tension between the screen and the, the face, which was, in design, if you Scott do that. Was bigger what's that? Than the shot. It's like Scott was bigger than the shot at that point. Like he was, Scott was bigger than the moment itself he be, he became larger than the the shot in itself so he was uh outside of it and so big that he couldn't be contained in it and i loved his 
there, that look. That's what I'm looking for. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was brilliant. It, it, <laughs> you thought for the very first second that perhaps Terrell had this plan and really was going to get one over on him. But as soon as he started talking, Scott, that is, and coming back at him, it, yeah. you could immediately see that he was even more clever than mm-hmm. Terrell. And he knew what he was after oh, yeah. and he had a plan to take him down. Uh, what I was trying to get at before we move forward is spatial tension. When we do with my design, if we're trying to create tension within a photo, uh, we'll have certain shapes that are close to each other that create this static yeah. tension between each other. So that it was creating static attention with the left side of your screen and their face. And then they had all this big space, which is just unorthodox. Empty space, really. Yeah. It showed the windows in the back of the boardroom, some of the chairs. And then before Scott stands up and Tyrell thinks he won, Scott starts talking and you'll see the last shot. And, and people, if you, if you don't know what we're talking about, definitely take the chance to watch this part again because it's really interesting. Yeah. The last shot is Tyrell really small on the bottom of the screen, only from the top of the shoulders up. And then 95% of the screen is just space. Yeah. So it makes him look literally like dwarfed. In the space. Well, and how about the fact that Scott, in the beginning of the conversation, unzips his pants and <laughs> presumably is, is you know, just, just showing him yeah. how, how much power and authority he has over him in these moments. And I wanted to ask you guys, one of the key cards that he plays is to tell Terrell, were you so dumb as to think that Sharon wouldn't tell me? Like she came right back after the party and told me what happened. What do you think she's up to? What is her motivation that she went through this whole charade with Terrell, but then turns right around and tells her husband? I don't know. I was thinking that too. Plausible deniability. Uh, I mean, so this way she thinks that there's nothing going on with them. Even if she is interested now that she's told him, you know, he thinks that any further discord they're, they're mm. going to have is her just playing with him, toying with him. So do you think she, she actually was into Terrell or intrigued by him? Yes. Yes. Okay. A little bit, definitely. And then the last remark about it is it escalates. Then he stands up, and that's when he unzips his zipper. Yep. And you notice once the conversation's over... The last part of the scene, he zips, zips it back, it back up. up. Yeah, he's <laughs> made his the point. The details in the show is amazing. Well, and I love his last power play when Scott offers the watch to him and tells Terrell, you, you know, I know you must be pretty hard up for money right now. And he really does get him in that moment. Clearly, that's the sore spot of Terrell feeling like he hasn't achieved the place in life that he wants to be at. And so Scott's, Scott's been trying to play these different chess moves to see where the real pressure point would be for Mm. Terrell and he finally locates it in the end you want that status you want that position in life and you're not quite there yet even though I am and and that's when he says you know there's the look that's what I've been waiting for yeah that was beautiful and then then we go over to Terrell basically smashing up his entire kitchen and Joanna's just calmly sitting there letting it all happen and I loved her line when she says to him you know why you're angry don't you it's because I was right yeah yeah I couldn't get over the juxtaposition between her calmness eating what the hell was she eating a corn dog yeah something like that something like that or a banana on a fork I I couldn't really tell something and just so relaxed and nonchalant composed freaking out his head's gonna fall off 
He's got steam coming out of his ears. And what were they speaking? Do you guys know what language that is? I thought it was Swedish or someone said Scandinavian on a, in a thread. I don't know if they're one and the same or not. Yeah, something like, I, I know what you mean, though. There was a moment where it almost sounded a little Italian. Then it went back to that harsher sounding yeah. kind of language. But, yeah, I mean, it begs the question, her composure, is this something that happens frequently? It seems like something she's very used to with Terrell that he'll just get almost like a kid having a temper tantrum. Mm-hmm. And she needs to be the one to kind of pull him back to the plan. And she does, in fact, here get him to realize, well, you know, this is all just for our point. We we know what her thing is now. We know how to get to Sharon that she wants to be wanted. I'm reading that it's Danish. Oh, Danish. Okay. That whole, that whole, her whole, all of her scenes so far, it just seems like... She's in much more control than Tyrell is. And in the beginning, you think that he's, he has all this control and he's very composed. You know, from, from what we'd feel in the beginning when I first saw him introduced, I thought it was going to be Elliot versus Tyrell and that's what it was going to be. But now it, it just seems like he's a little bit of a loose cannon. You don't know where, where he's going to fly off. And she just seems like in control. Even when she's being dominated in the sex scene, she's telling him what to do. Um, she questions him about where he's going, and even when he chokes her, it's kind of like he's trying to get an advantage over her because he has to use that physical advantage, but she's not phased by it in the yeah, slightest. Yeah, she's the power player in this relationship. She's the brains behind whatever plans they're putting together to ultimately move into that position that they want in life. Mm-hmm. And, and that's so obviously what keeps them connected in this relationship yeah. is these same really aggressive ambitions in life. In the next scene, inspired by the previous night, Angie meets with the lawyers who represented her in the toxic waste cover-up in that lawsuit against Evil Corp in an attempt to reopen the case. They tell her it's impossible to win unless they can get testimony from someone on the inside. And that's when she turns her sights to Terry Colby. Let's talk a little bit about, I forget what the name was of the lawyer that she went to go see. She commented that she had tried almost every single lawyer that had been involved in this case, and nobody answered the phone. Nobody got back to her. It was this one woman. Yeah. It's like Naylor or something like that, N-A-L-A-R. That sounds familiar. Something like that. Well, <laughs> I like our introduction to her character, that it seems like she's going to offer Angie some coffee or some tea, whatever it is. Then she takes out the bottle of liquor from inside yeah. her, her desk. <laughs> and, and yet she, she's very together. She's very smart. It's apparent how much she's been through, even before she tells us the story, what this case has done to her professional life. Oh, yeah. I thought she'd be one of those real quick, one-time... Antara Nayar. Nayar. Okay. Um, I thought she would be one of those quick one-time scenes or characters, but it seems like she's going to be more and more prevalent in the I show. I think she's going to play a big role if they choose to reopen this, this case. I know I've seen her in other stuff. Oh, me too. Definitely. Oh, uh, House of Cards. That's, That's right. You're right. The they make her project. look very haggard. Sleepy yeah. hollow. In, uh, in the Mr. Robot. So we see that this is going to be an epic climb if Angela's going to get anything out of this. Yeah, it looks, it looks hopeless in the beginning. Like, 
she's not going to take her case. There's just no way. It's almost laughable. And she starts explaining to her that there's really only one way out of it. You know, she says, unless you know somebody who was there when this meeting went down talking about covering up the toxic waste, any of your Facebook friends, and you could see Angie's face switch. And she goes into, you know, her mind somewhere very far away. She's contemplating and I said to you at that point, Jason, what is her plan? She's obviously thinking of somebody. She has somebody in mind that she believes they could get to and could crack. And my first impression was thinking she's going to go to Elliot and find out a way to social engineer whoever this person is to to Mm -hmm. hack into their stuff or to get some kind of edge on them. I never imagined that she was going to just go straight to Terry Colby's house and knock on the door. And then stand there and say nothing. Yeah, kind of a a not well thought out plan. She just, she's standing there, she's looking at his ankle bracelet and I thought it was stupid at first. I'm, I'm like, what is the point of this scene scene that's going on for what felt like a very long time of her just standing there and then i got it later that he's real now it was almost better to think that if there was this huge company that was responsible for such an awful event and the killing of her mother and elliot's father that this guy would be larger than life he would be the epitome of evil but here he is just some normal dude walking around with this ankle bracelet he can't even leave his house it's almost more depressing that way, I think, for her. I think it was her acting emotionally first and then realizing once the door opened and he was there that she wasn't ready to speak to him and she didn't have a leg to stand on yet. And that's what made her go to Elliot. Well, that too. But I think we also see later on or in the next episode, whenever it is, when she goes back to Terry and she's talking to him And he offers information in exchange for a sexual favor. Again, it's that same feeling of he is just a guy. He's reacting the same way any guy. It's it's almost upsetting to her that this is the man responsible for all of this awful stuff. Right. Yeah, she kind of wants him to be, well, she wants him to be the ultimate villain. And he kind of plays into that role a little bit. But mm-hmm. I think she does get that sense also that he's just another person yeah. when you get down to it. You know, that's like a common theme where uh, we want our villains to be villains, like clearly evil. But then when we see that there's something else going on, there's a little gray there. You know, it's it, it makes it more relatable, but it's harder for us to want that that, you know, to keep the, yeah, that yeah. hate that's driving it. And, and you could see that when he explains to her where he was that day and how this conversation went down about deciding to cover it up. And she's like, so it was just a normal day that you guys are sitting there having a drink and it's raining outside and that's it. Like, <laughs> it wasn't this dark, ominous scene with thunderclouds rolling in <laughs> outside and you're all sitting there very sinister and, you know, in a dark lit right. room. You know, yeah. she, she can't even believe how normal it sounds. It's, it's like, but oh, I, well, this sucks. <laughs> as far as that scene goes, I thought it was funny that that he said it was like we we're all laughing, smoking a cigar about how we're, like, destroying people. Yeah. But in the end, it what he said was just almost the same as what he, the example he gave, they were drinking, eating shrimp, shrimp cocktail and, you know, signed off on this paper. Yeah. And it was raining. Yeah. It was like no big deal. 
Well, getting back to episode six, episode yeah. six on um, the next part, we see that night Elliot successfully breaks Severa out of the prison using his Bluetooth exploit. So they cut a little bit out of this synopsis here. We can talk about what led up to that. There was a yeah. lot of back and forth between Isaac and DJ. Mm-hmm. And they had him in the room and, you know, they kept going back and forth to Elliot trying to figure out how he was going to get this done. And for a while, it was really looking hopeless. Like he mm-hmm. could not figure out a plan. And right. he, yeah. he was going to end up getting them all killed. And this is one of the reasons why I love this episode so much is because of the parallels that they had with what Elliot is going through and with what Tyrell is going through. Mm. They're both going through these this fight game verbally and um, okay, I guess kind of physically, but very uh, emotionally and mentally, it's they parallel each other. Yeah, the storyline. It's kind of it's kind of a dance, and I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So I mean, Elliot goes to the prison. It, this seems like a really good idea when he figures out that he can go meet with Vera, and while he's there, kind of leave the phone out so he can determine what kind of wireless network they're on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't understand this. Maybe you guys could explain. I didn't look it up when he figures out whatever kind of wireless network they have. There's basically no chance of him hacking it. Yeah. Well, it's just encrypted. Like, uh, the way the password is encrypted, it's just much harder to crack than other networks. Okay. The, the, the encryption they use. Well, I read up on this on uh, Forbes, one of our favorite websites, mm-hmm. uh, Forbes Tech, <clears throat> and they actually uh, have a cybercrime consultant that goes through and explains to us everything that happened. And this is very Mr. Robot being amazing, mm. where they're not going, they're not creating something that's imaginary. Like uh, I'll do a magic walrus that will go into the internet <laughs> and break it. You know? Yeah, it makes sense. It's based in reality. So they they spoke to this. Uh, technical consultant and cybercrime security expert Michael Bazell, or Basil, to explain the many hacks we see on screen. Okay. So the USB drives and script kitties. I thought that was great how Darlene started just dropping USBs outside of the police station yes. waiting for someone to pick just pick any up. one of them up. Yeah, I had no idea what, what she, she was doing. doing at first. And then again, playing into the stupidity of people that there was bound to be the one person who was going to take it inside, put it in and see... And on top of that, you know, even normal people are getting to be sort of educated in the ways of, okay, I put something into my computer that I don't know what it is, and now it's asking me for a survey. Maybe I should not answer mm-hmm. any of these questions. But he continues right. to go through it because what was it that he was going to get? Like Free an iPad. iTunes? Free yeah, iPad it was an something. iTunes, actually. Oh, iTunes. Yeah, I love how <laughs> they do that. Probably an Evil Corp uh, product. And so, it's it's not until he sees that something's clearly not right that he freaks out and well, tries. Well, his virus, to... his malware detector goes off and tells him that something's wrong. Right. But yeah, he was just answering like, "What type of music do you listen to? Rap or rock?" Yeah. It's like rap. That and was funny. He's like, Out of these three, do you what do you like the best, heavy or hip hop? And he said hip hop, and then it asked him favorite artist. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever, and I was like, oh, just like they're just asking questions so that. More, they're having time. more time yeah. to, to run this script. These little devices, they're now capable of holding several gigabytes of data, which mm. is a fraction of what you need to infect a computer. It works because when people see a discarded USB drive, they apply value to it, and in many cases, either in an attempt to find the drive's owner 
or for their own personal use will plug it into their computer, the guard does exactly that. Another huge concern is the possibility that these drives are not actual storage devices, but are small devices that appear to be standard flash drives instead possess a chip inside that acts as a USB keyboard. Mm -hmm. So like you have a Bluetooth keyboard on your iPad. It's a chip that speaks to the computer and says, I'm the keyboard, let me type onto your CPU. Right. So it's commonly referred to as a rubber ducky. This type of device can bypass security protocols because a computer will register it as a USB keyboard when it's plugged in. Once connected, the device reads from a pre-programmed script. This script contains commands that could include instructions to do a variety of nefarious things, such as copy, passwords, save documents, upload files, and delete data. Well, that's that's in the first in the first instance when the guy takes it inside, but that doesn't fully work, right? Because he shuts it down before it has a chance to completely run, and that's when they realize they have to go for a second time. And and, um, Darlene walks up to that's where I got confused. The cop that's outside and has to distract him, um, and then, like you were saying, Jason, um, they can get more time to get in there using this. Uh, wireless Bluetooth access with the guy in the car and uh, you know she's distracting him they're getting their thing done and and it was really tense because he turns to us and says if I typed any one letter wrong any one number wrong this isn't going to work none of it's going to happen and basically I'm going to be dead in it but he is super confident he says did I do anything wrong nope nope I don't make a mistake I don't mess up this code is perfect but it really was very, very tense there for a while, and especially to somebody like me that doesn't completely understand the technology and what's going on here. I'm just like, whoa, is it going to happen? I don't, I don't get it. What does it mean? <laughs> but I had a question for you guys about the tech, tech aspect of it. You know, when he's first going in, he is trying to break into their wireless network, and he realizes that's too well protected. Then he kind of drives by the cruiser and realizes, oh, I can just go about it that way because clearly the cars are communicating with the inside in a certain way that is easier to break into. And that's what you're saying with the Bluetooth, right? Yeah, that's where I messed up. The police officer's computer is already in the Wi-Fi, and Elliot uses this USB into his own computer that speaks to the cop's computer and says, hey, I'm the keyboard, let me type on you. So once he was had control of the computer, he opened a command prompt connected to the FTP server that contains the exploit and downloads the exploit to the patrol laptop, mm-hmm. which starts an attack against the network that laptop is connected to. So the, And then the exploit launches through the patrol car, car's laptop and infects the entire prison network and allows him to control the electronic locks on all the prison cell doors. And then shuts the place down. Yeah, well, just backing up for a sec, we do see the computer starting to be infected, and actually the cop does notice it. But then Darlene is very clever at kind of re-getting his attention. Oh, no, look away from the computer. Talk to me. Let's make a date for tonight. And, you know, then back to Elliot frantically tap-tap-tapping, you know, trying to figure it out. And... And Finally, she's gonna buy more time for him too, because he's trying to like play a power play to get her out of the whole situation. Right? Yeah. In yeah. the meantime, he's talking to Isaac and DJ. It's it's so tense. Everything that's happening, and that, that you can imagine the rate at which his mind is trying to calculate all these different things that he's got to pay attention to at one time. Just again illustrating his intelligence. What I was thinking when we were watching the show is. 
can you really open all of the doors? I was like, uh-oh, did they mess up there? Can you open all the doors with one prompt, command prompt? But uh, modern jails and prisons, they rely on electronic locks controlled within a computer network. These control boards are often connected to the same switches that connect to standard computers. Many government buildings, especially older structures, have a single network room where all the network wiring meets. Mm. This allows for many various attacks. And that's basically what he exploited. Yeah, well, and we don't see it till later when they're standing outside the prison, him, Isaac, and DJ sort of waiting to see if this has worked. The first thing that happens is all the lights in the entire prison go out. And I'm thinking, shit, are they like going into lockdown? Is there going to be generators that Mm -hmm. come on? And does that mean it's going to mess stuff up? Because again, I don't understand the way any of that works. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people do. (laughs) Just made it that much scarier to me. I thought I heard all the doors open first and then the power went out. Oh, did you? Yeah. It did. So You were right. So I mean, I thought that the power going out would just keep it so that they couldn't lock the doors right away if they noticed. Okay. So they could, that way it gave, you know, the prisoner, because there's guards around and stuff too. So they had to, you know, make sure that they couldn't, I get manually, I would think there's some kind of manual switch. Override, for, right? For yeah. Also. But Elliot said that just the power that was needed to open all the doors just gave, it was a power surge. Oh, okay. So when that goes out, the doors automatically opened. All of them. Which no, no, no. Opening the, the doors. Opening the doors. Causes, caused the power it. outage. Yeah. Okay, the other way around. Got it. Yeah, and then, then you, of course, you, you have that couple of 10 seconds where you're waiting to see what's going to happen. And then you start to see all of these prisoners just <laughs> flooding towards the fences. And I was thinking that in my mind, like, where are the guards? <laughs> should, should be, like, running after them right now. I don't know. I picture it to yeah, be they get so much them? more sophisticated, like a, a man in a tower with a gun waiting to, like, trank them all or yeah. something. I, they're just all kind of making a break for it and having something apparently to cut the fence with that they just happen to have on have. their possession. Yeah. Um, their homemade, uh, <laughs> you know, wire cutters. Bolt cutters <laughs> <laughs> that they keep handy. <laughs> and that's when, you know, throughout the whole show, Fernando kept saying, I love you, bro. I'm going to hug you when I get out. I'm going to hug you when I get out. And I was like, is it? Is he going to shank him when he gets out? Like he's going to hug him, and while he's hugging him, shank him. You know? Did he like, actually hug him? I no, he had, he didn't end up hugging him. <laughs> yeah, all that was kind of like Bullshit. for nothing. I I, I thought that, that was going to play love. in. Well, so uh, we've been following. He did just shoot his own brother, though. That's so true. I mean, I could, he might not feel like hugging anyone yeah. at that point. Ask yourself this: Are you a one or a zero? If you're a one, tell your friends about our podcast. Like us on Facebook. Email us at the address contact at CKC Podcast. Get in touch. Be a part of the crew. That's the question you have to ask yourself. Are you a yes or a no? Are you going to act or not? So I'll ask you again. Are you a one or a zero? (laughs) We've been following the tech angle that leads us all the way up to this point, but why don't we back up just for a second to the conversation earlier that Elliot had with Isaac, where... Oh, that wasn't... Yeah, Isaac sort of... They've all figured out, basically, where everybody stands now and what the plans are behind all of this, and he realizes that Isaac never wanted Vera to get out of jail. He wanted him in there because he thought it would be easier to kill him. That's when uh, Elliot realizes also that 
that uh, Isaac is setting up for Vera in in the prison, and that Vera knows this too. Yeah, and I guess he thought that Vera would be an easier target there, but he also has a network of protection there, so it's almost like Isaac can't win at this point, and he knows it. But Elliot very smartly plays into that and talks him into this plan of, listen, you're going to be better off if you break him out and then immediately after try to kill him. That's going to be your best bet of taking him down. Otherwise, you, you're you done, man. <laughs> None of this stuff is going to work out very well for you. And, you know, I got to play my best bet the same as you too, and it might not work out for me, but this is yeah. the best chance I have. Very quick on his feet. If you think about it, he's thinking about all this while he's under tension and he's being held captive. He thought about what to say to Fernando in jail. Mm. You know, he's like, I, I hacked into your brother's phone. I have everything about your business so I could bankrupt you. I could kill your whole business. Yeah, and the whole thing about he had to disable it every 24 hours yeah. so they couldn't kill him. Otherwise, you know, they would still be screwed. And I was thinking to myself, that's such a smart plan. But clearly it was really not the right thing to say to either one of them. It was not the right thing to say to Vera because he was work. never planning on continuing yeah. the business. It wasn't right. the right thing to say to Isaac because he all along wanted to have his brother killed. Elliot really didn't understand the dynamic. And you can see when he finally says, oh, I knew something was off about you when he's talking to Isaac. I could never <laughs> figure it out yeah. what was bothering me. But what it was was that you never wanted any of this to work. None of neither of you cared about the business and the plan. You were both kind of out to, to get each other. Yeah, it goes back to that um, to that scene when Vera first gets uh, in, is first taken in in prison. He's talking to his lawyer, yeah, and he's telling him that the brother, you know, was telling him that there's no way he would get caught, and and obviously Isaac has been setting up the whole time to get rid of him so he can take over. Yeah, and that moment really culminates. So you know, back to the prison that night when Vera walks up and I was thinking the same as Jason, like, is he going to give him the hug now? And this is going to be when Isaac tries to shoot him. The second Vera's back is turned even just for a minute. And within two seconds, DJ turns around and shoots Isaac. And I did not see that coming. Yeah. That was the big twist for me. I always kind of thought also that something was off about Isaac and was he trying to sabotage in some way, but I did not see it coming that DJ was in on it the entire time and just Mm -hmm. waiting for Vera to walk out of there before he shoots him. And the angle they did it for a second, you're like, shit, did they just shoot Elliot? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, and DJ played his part really well the whole time. You're thinking he's like this dumb guy who's in the background like, oh, everything's cool, man. Yeah, I'm an idiot. Hey, I'm a dictate. Really, he was there spying (laughs) and keeping Isaac under control the entire time. I'm a dictate. Yeah, I'm a dictate. (laughs) (laughs) Which leads us to the final scene. Yeah. Which was epic. Just a beautiful cherry on top. Yeah. He says, I told you you'd have you'd be with her and she was with you the whole time. And I didn't know what that meant. I did. When he threw in the <laughs> keys, I was like still lost. I'm like, oh, is she hidden somewhere? Like, you know, in a room in his house, maybe, uh, you know, he's going to figure out that it was so easy to get to her. And even closer than that, she was in the damn trunk of the car. And then I still thought she was going to be, be alive. alive. Yeah. yeah. All day. Hoping. I was thinking, though, it's just like. She can't have been alive the whole day and been in there. It just 
she would have screamed or made noise. No, I thought she was drugged. Man, I, I thought uh, she was like I trained. I didn't think so. You and then just... I just thought about how painful it would be to be in a trunk all day. Uh, yeah, yeah, it'd be awful. But I think she could have maybe lived through oh, it. Yeah. But clearly, she had. I been... guess if she was drugged, it would have it would have worked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if she was out the entire time. Yeah. Well, I think it was also a case of you just hoping she was alive. And they yeah. created the tension. They didn't show you her. No. They showed no. you his face. And again, Rami Malek, his acting skills, he helped create the tension because his face didn't go right to crazy, like, oh my God, she's dead. It, no, it was shock yeah. that you could have thought for a minute he was just surprised. Yeah. Like, and then she might have been knocked out. And then you started screaming, you got to get going, man. The cops are coming. The cops are coming. <laughs> well, I'm freaking out. I'm like, what the fuck is he just standing there? You can hear the sirens going and all the, the criminals are, you know, all the, the prisoners are making their way. And I'm like, any one of these dudes, I mean, he could get trampled. Um, if a freaking prison guard comes out and sees him, he's got Isaac's dead body laying on the ground. He's got a girl in the trunk because I didn't know if she's dead at this point. But even just having some chick locked up in a trunk is not going to look very good. So... I'm like, what is he doing? And and gradually you can see his face start to change to anger. and Yeah, and then remorse. And then he's just going through all his emotions because she's dead and he's upset. And then I think it's dawning on him that it, this is all his fault. And that Mr. Robot was right the whole yeah. time that there was no way to win this. So as a whole, I thought that this was one of their best episodes. They got a little derailed from F Society. And they did like this whole side mission. Yeah. But I didn't mind it. Normally when a no, show does good. that, you're like, what? What is this coming from? What, what happened to the main storyline? But this, it was actually a good breather from the main storyline. Well, that and they had been building towards it the whole time. You were introduced very early on to Vera and the gang and, you know, his building relationship with Shayla, what had been happening this whole time. So they, they had to kind of have that resolved at some point. And it set us up very nicely for the next episode as well. View source. Isn't our life like a blip in the cosmic calendar? Are you sure you want to do this? You and I both know I'm crazy. I just wanted you to come back with me so we could change the world together. You do this, all these people go down. We have what we've worked for right there for the taking. Going into this, I was thinking, all right, this this is probably going to be one of the slower episodes because now they have to rebuild. They just went to a crescendo, you know, and they it wasn't that slow. <laughs> well, also, if you I looked ahead of time and I saw that this was written by Sam Esmail, this episode. Oh, nice. So I, I kind of thought it's bound to be good. Um, directed by Kate Erickson. About the title, in computing, view source is a routine that allows a user to read the source code of a website. But in the context of the characters, it's a metaphor for seeing beneath the surface of each character to their true selves. And I think that's what we start to see here in episode seven. So that was interesting. For our file name, this one, the extension has .flv, which is for video in Adobe Flash. Oh, yeah, okay. So you guys all know these things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm behind the times. A couple of episode notes, Tyrell and Joanna's relationship and their scheming draws from the Shakespeare tragedy Macbeth, 
don't oh. know if anybody caught on to that. No. In the play, Macbeth, at the urging of his scheming, ambitious wife, kills King Duncan and becomes king of Scotland. However, in getting what he wants, Macbeth soon becomes consumed by guilt and increasingly paranoid, eventually descending into madness. What plays off of Macbeth? What story? Um, Tyrell and Joanna. What's going to happen with everything oh, that goes okay. down with their plot in this episode? And we did have some music notes for this as well. There was Pictures of You by The Cure earlier on. And then the Japanese Farewell Song, recorded by Casey Jones in 1955. The Korean War era song was frequently heard playing over the PA in the television series MASH. Now, I'm not sure if that's the one they're referencing. There was a song playing the entire time that Terrell and Joanna were first sleeping together and then he was killing her. There was this very intense song just really heavy pounding and you could really it got you worked up yeah got your blood pumping and you just knew that this was going to be a culminating scene some would say it got you choked up (laughs) (laughs) so that yeah the music was really powerful in, in this episode i thought jumping into our synopsis Right off the bat, in a flashback, which I don't think we we knew necessarily for a few minutes. That I thought it was like her sister was there cleaning out her room, like she found out she was dead, and then was just picking, taking everything out and packing it up. Well, it takes a couple of minutes, but yeah, we do see that Shayla Nico, we get her full name here, moves in next door and gives Elliot the fish as a gift, and we find out the fish's name is Quirty. Quirky? Quirky. 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 Very strange. Quirky. Like, <laughs> it's not that strange. It's the first line of your keyboard. Oh. Q-W-E-R-T-Y. Yeah, okay. Oh, so why does she have a fish thing. that's named Quirky? I don't think he had a name yet. Did Did she say he, he had a name yet? I think he just went over there and then... It says, gives Elliot Quirky as a gift. Well, so, he mentions Quirty in the first episode, so we know that that's his fish. But I don't know if she said it exactly then. Huh. Maybe she did. She said it was a gift from her six-year-old niece. Right. And now we realize why that part of the drug-induced dream or hallucination, whatever it was that Elliot had a few episodes back, there was all these things that seemed pretty random, and yet they all had some sort of meaning, and at one point it was that Elliot was in his room and the fish was talking to him, mm-hmm. and Terrell was in the background, and I'm like, okay, I'm sort of getting the metaphors and symbology for this dream, but why in the fuck is the fish talking to him? That makes sense. Why? So, yeah, now we get it. It was an emotional symbol of the first time that he really made a connection with Shayla. Um, we see that she aspires to be his friend, despite him telling her he feels awkward around people and he just dislikes most of them um and she by the end even offers to contact a suboxone supplier despite his reputation as a quote-unquote psychopath because she thinks elliot could be worth it yeah it was very shayla kind of quote uh you know i do know a guy who sells suboxone he's supposed to be a fucking psychopath but if you want i can call him you might be worth a psychopath i don't know maybe (laughs) oh and keep the fish you filthy animal that was very her. Yeah, but also so depressing that the seeds were sown this early on that she was willing to contact somebody she knew was nuts and that it was mm-hmm. probably going to be a really bad idea. And she just liked him so much that she was willing to put herself out there. And that ultimately was a really horrible thing yeah. for both of them. Yeah, Jeez. We got a couple of flashbacks in this episode and they were all 
very intense and emotional. I thought they did a, a brilliant job of giving us a fuller backstory into our characters. I love when shows do that, where they don't spend too long in the beginning setting it up, giving us backstories before yeah. we even get intrigued enough to care. Yep. I love when they sprinkle it in and do it the correct way. Now, let me ask you, that, you guys this. Because Elliot's a drug addict, and we know he's the good guy, we like him. Hindsight is twenty twenty. He has this flashback, or gives us this flashback. If he could go back in time, do you think he still would have asked her to do it? No. No. He said. He said. Well, he said that in the scene in the uh, in the restaurant. If he could go back yeah. and change it, that he would. And she said, uh, "Don't say that," because I guess that her connection with him was worth all of this. Yeah. And wow, she knew it right beautiful. off the bat. She knew this was going to be a dangerous move, but she liked him. Yeah. Well, then we move towards realizing in the present, it's been 30 days since Shayla's murder, and Elliot's obviously still grieving. We see Angie making a deal with Terry Colby. Angie will lie and say she broke the chain of custody with the file that incriminated him, and in exchange, Colby will testify that E Corp covered up the toxic waste leak in 1993. However, Gideon warns Angie that her moving forward with the plan will not only cost her her job, as she thought, but will also put all safe out of business and really hurt a lot of people, which I don't think she had thought about the implications of that until that moment in talking to Gideon. I think Gideon knows, too, that it was Elliot. Because uh, I was rewatching episode three. Mm-hmm. And he gets some file where, and it says F Society Dat. And the username is Elliot under there, mm. and he even tells Elliot that it was that it was uh, that he that he talked to the admin and they had found this file. And Elliot tells him that he didn't know what he had, so that's why I didn't tell him about it. Right. But yeah. even later on, Gideon still doesn't really trust Elliot in that. He goes back and has him check it again. Yeah. And I think he still thinks that uh, that he knows that Elliot was the one with the dat file, and that it can't have been Angela or Angie. Well, when yeah, she came, when she came in to All Safe that day and decided she was going to do it, and she put this CD into the computer, whose computer did she use? She, she used Ollie's. Uh, her boyfriend's. It Ollie's. was Ollie's, right? Yeah, yes. Okay. Well, yeah, we see, obviously, that whole interaction that we discussed between her and Terry and him just being basically an asshole. <laughs> and finally, she is able to pinpoint his weakness how to get to him essentially and i'm gonna for a minute i thought she was gonna do it i was like could she do this to like get this answer out of him could she do what he said or whatever or play that card to see how he'd react i was waiting to see if something like that would happen yeah i didn't think so because she's been so naive and almost prudish in a way and and maybe innocent She's been painted as that character up until this point, and she well, is... she did make out with Shayla in the bathroom. Yes, her, so. she is definitely having a turn, and I think this episode was really pivotal for her in her transition from the too-nice persona to being someone who could actually go after what she wants, and I think it, it kind of brings her and Elliot's paths even closer to converging as we discussed the last episode where we saw their relationship going together. I read, again, in Forbes, we love that they have such great reviews. They actually did an interview with Portia Doubleday, the girl that plays Angie. 
-hmm. and they talked about the different themes and things that were happening in this episode. She remarks that as far as her character is concerned, in the beginning, there was a part of her that was really underdeveloped. She doesn't know what her identity is, and there's this kind of hope and innocence about her. But then she emancipates herself from this idea of the way she thinks and the way she should be living. The scene between Terry and Angie, she thinks they're a lot more analogous characters than people might think. This is what inevitably wound up changing Terry's mind. His need for recognition and respect far surpasses any other basic human desire. And she herself truly desires the same. So she didn't even really think she was going to convince him. She was just speaking honestly off the top of her head. And it wound up being that his motives were such the same that it kind of won him over. And this is what I was saying before. It's kind of like he is this monster that is humanized. There is something so tragic about that because there is something comforting about someone being entirely evil. That's what Angie says. And as far as her plan's concerned, quote, before that moment with Gideon, I don't think Angie realized that by going after E-Corp, she would endanger everyone in the office and people would lose their jobs, ruin their lives. I think for the first time she sees maybe there isn't a way to make decisions without negative consequences and maybe you need to weigh the effects of your decisions and that's an internal struggle faced by everyone's character. Hmm. But isn't that just, it's like an analogy for Evil Corp in general, like there is no way to defeat them, like you have to get dirty. Yeah. Because even even the lawyer was saying in the last episode that she's got she opens the door and says, "Look, we've got a rapist here that beat his wife with an Xbox who was pregnant yep. because she cheated and it's she's going to have an easier time defending, defending that guy yep. and trying to go up against Evil Corp. It's just too high a mountain to 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 climb." Well, too yeah, and we've to- we've seen Elliot dealing with that throughout the entire series of other people proposing plans that could get a lot of people hurt, and he will not go for those ideas. He will not go for blowing up the pipes that's going to take out Steel Mountain because it's going to kill too many people. He's trying to look for the solution that's going to harm as few people as possible, but he knows there's no way to win at all. (laughs) It is going to be kind of, like you said, a messy endeavor. And I think, again, this is what's just bringing these two characters closer together Angie and Elliot, that they're both on separate journeys, but kind of they're starting to intertwine and they're coming to those same realizations. And meanwhile, Darlene and Mr. Robot attempt to bring F society back together, which has fallen apart due to the Dark Army setback and Elliot's disappearance. Darlene now hacks- we see Mr. Elliot, uh, Mr. Robot, Mr. Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> you see him interacting with people outside of Elliot being there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like so. I was saying, episode six and seven are really having me question the whole Elliot Mr. Robot thing. It's still Elliot. It's just <laughs> Elliot so. being Mr. Robot. I saw thing. another, I read another thing about uh, the scarf that Mr. Robot wears is hanging up on a hook in Elliot's room. Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, I got to check for I that. I got to go look now. <laughs> <laughs> Darlene hacks Cisco's computer and manages to set an in-person meeting with the elusive and dangerous White Rose, the leader of the Dark Army. Cisco is enraged by Darlene's reckless move and later meets with Ollie to demand another favor. What do we think about this, guys? So she hacked into his computer and used his name yeah. to get back in touch with them. To set up the meeting with White Rose. 
before this episode, there was no mention of White Rose. There was just the Dark Army. So yeah, they they referred to yeah. the, the army and the leader, but they never gave him slash her a name. This is the first time we're hearing a name. I had some theories, and I read I, were, I read one theory on Reddit, and it was that it's Joanna. Is that it? Yeah, Joanna, uh, Tyrell's wife. Wow. Because, you know, she seems like the one who's more calm and collected of the two of them. She's got some free time it seems like i don't know what she does they don't talk about her job or you know what she does no i think they've led you to to believe i didn't even think she had one it's like her sole purpose in life is to kind of back up (laughs) you blew me away when you said that and the more i think about it like i love that idea but i'm not too sure it would make sense because they don't allude to it at all and that would make her character even more prominent and close that loop but what does she get out of being that white? I don't rose? know. I mean, what do they get? Like, what does a hacker group get out of it? Yeah. True. I mean, You're they right. also have access to the company, I guess, through Tyrell. And he's getting more access when he goes and screws the secretary of the CEO. Right. CTO. Yeah, CTO. Well, I don't know. Was, is that the, was that the CTO? Because they were hiring for the CTO. Oh, so I I don't know if that was the oh CTO you're right or if that my was bad secretary you're right oh I thought you were referring to Terrell Sorry. me too my bad so but um, oh another thing about that scene when I rewatched it is that it's the wife of the new CTO that's in the room when he goes when Tyrell goes to talk to the CEO she's in there and not Scott I don't know if you guys noticed it, that in the conference room. Yeah, in the conference room, she's in there. And originally, when they talk about it, they think that it's her. But then they find out. Then Tyrell says, no, it's Scott that is going to be the new CTO. I thought that was kind of weird that she was in there, like, for Scott. Yeah, I missed that whole thing. I missed that too, man. So I didn't know if there was some kind of, like, sexual thing with her going on there. And maybe that's where Tyrell got the idea to go this route. Yeah, I'm not sure. Oh, wow. You're talking about episodes prior when yeah, he was going three, on. Yeah, three. In episode three. Yeah, there's so much when you go back, you, you, you catch all these little things. Oh, I got to watch that I again. I never caught before. Because I keep, I keep telling more and more people about um, Mr. Robot. So, like, right now I'm on vacation in Virginia visiting family, and I'm telling, like, my father and my uncle about Mr. Robot. I'm like, oh, we could watch it right now if you've got it on demand. And then they get into it, so we keep watching it, and then yeah, we're rewatching nice. it, and and I'm picking up more and more stuff each time I rewatch it. That's cool. Well, in the last scene of this episode, we see Terrell and Elliot both finally snap. Terrell is at a party celebrating Noel's promotion, and he seduces Sharon up on the roof, and then strangles her to death in a moment of passion. Which I did not see that coming. Me either. No, I was upset by that when I saw it initially. I. I was like, this is a mistake. They shouldn't have gone that way. I wish they would have just, he would have had sex with her and saw how that went. But maybe with Joanna, this is the, she told him to do this? Oh, 100%. I think she was completely behind this because at first I was thinking, is this part of his craziness? Like we've been seeing in these other uh, episodes where he beats people up to release stress, he freaks out. But as soon as he was done killing her, he fell apart as though he didn't want to do this at all. And he was right. just the puppet who was instructed 
to kill her. So I, I totally think she was behind that. So he's not full sociopath that we've learned because a sociopath wouldn't have cared and would have just walked away. Yeah. Yeah. He's got emotions. He cares. And it looks like he really didn't want to do that. But what did he, what does he gain from this? Well, if you were the new CTO of an organization and your wife just died there, would you stay? Or would you I be would able stay, to do your job as well yeah. as before? Gonna, you know, he's going to know it's Tyrell. And he, I would, he is. He, and That's that kind of guy is going to stay to get back at Tyrell. He's going to have Tyrell's going to ha- his wife is going to give him a a tight alibi. They're going to be fucking in the bathroom or she's going to have pictures of him like time stamped. They're going to know she'll have something like, but he's not yeah. going to stop going after him regardless. He's going to make his life a living hell even if legally he can't get to him. Um Scott's not going to just drop that. Right. I just don't understand the why he just left her there. It was weird. Uh, the whole thing. Like, it was like he sort of the suicide angle I, I and don't throw know. her off the roof. Yeah, that's what I was thinking yeah. too. But yeah. then the the you know she has scars on her neck from that. She's got to. I think it really got to him. I think he was really disturbed by it. He could barely even stay long enough to wipe his DNA off her mouth. Um, right. He was losing it. Do you think that was planned? Because here's the other thing. You guys are really saying did. you think it was planned, but yeah. Do you think it wasn't planned and? Out of the passion of what was going on, he lost control just like he needed to go fight the bum. Well, that's what I was saying. That was my first thought. Um, But the way that he got so emotional about it afterwards and even almost towards the end of him doing it, it was kind of like something was in control of him. Like he didn't want to, but he knew he had to go through with it. So by the end of the scene, I was left thinking, no, that it was it was her. Yeah, I don't know. I keep going back and forth on it. I, I see that it could be either possibility. Because they did show... Uh, I'm sorry. Like, he could be... like. <laughs> then I was thinking this, like, like what if <laughs> what if he just couldn't get it up? There was too much pressure <laughs> on him, and he just couldn't stand the fact that she would know that about him at that point. Well, she so, seemed pretty into it. He, she seemed pretty <laughs> into whatever was going on right up until right. that point. So, But remember how he was having sex... With Joanna, and like she made her tie her up and yeah, choke her. Yeah, he was into the S and M. So maybe he started doing it and then couldn't stop. But right. at first, he was I don't just know, that was a be long kind of choking, though. Like, there's time there to realize what you're doing. But but once he would let go, she was going to run right back to her husband and again right. tell him. Yeah, I don't know. Say so he just tried to choke me. I just I didn't see it that way. Well, we'll find out next semester. Um, <laughs> we'll find out next episode. episode. Yeah, and then we move over to Elliot confessing to Krista, the therapist, that he hacks everybody in an attempt to find a way out of his loneliness, which he has not been able to find since Shayla's murder. He really bears his soul here, and it was interesting that when he first came to her, she thought since their court-mandated time was finished, he would not return. I think we all thought that. Yeah, I didn't think he would show back up there again. But he did, and all and the more, he, he was having a really honest moment. He was sharing everything with her. He was sharing his source code. Yeah. There's a lot of points to source code. Um, well, he exposes his therapist's immoral behavior due to her loneliness and then says that he's lonely too. But why did he have to break her down 
in order to get his feelings out. I don't think he was breaking her down. I think he was, A, confessing that this is how he connects to people and he can't control himself. He says, it's not just you. I hack everybody. This is how I learn about people and connect with them. And he made a point every time he said something he learned about her, um, you do that much like I do or I feel the same way as you. He was trying to show that she was human and he knew that despite her being a therapist, she had her own flaws, weaknesses, and he could relate to it. And it's like, well, I am like you though. Look, I've found out from everything that I've learned that we're not so dissimilar and that we both struggle with this same loneliness. He could also that, that, uh, like he had to show her how far he was going, like into the detail that he went to. Cause if you're saying like, well, I hacked you or whatever, do you really, does a normal person really understand what that means? But mm-hmm. he went into all these like graphic details like anal porn what she bought this morning yeah anal porn what she bought at the store this morning what she tells her sister uh, about her family and what she tells her best friend and just the, the worst well one of the, the worst things was that she is using one of her patients is her doppelganger and yeah. she's trying to convince them to leave her husband to leave her husband because she's tired of being used and feeling lonely Yeah, well, and I think part of him was trying to show her, like, I almost can't help myself. This is how bad I am that I had to find everything out about you. And and this is kind of what she's wanted the entire time was for him to come in and completely strip himself down, expose himself and, and, and show, like, this is me. This is the raw me and I need help. And I need to be honest with you first and lay it all out on the line so that maybe you can help me. Christina, you have some experience in this field. Like, if a patient came to you and said something like that, That'd be would you, end. like, report them to the police? No. No, I would just refer them to another therapist. Oh. Because that move doesn't endanger... But they're just going to do that to them also. Yeah, would you yeah. tell the other therapist yep. that you were hacked? Yep. Are you allowed to do that? Yep. If I'm referring, I have to give them the information oh, about our sessions. Okay. And, and, yeah, um, I think, you know, it doesn't show that he's trying to hurt himself or hurt other people. Um, this is just part of his psychological problem. This is why he's in therapy, but that line has been crossed now. So you can't attempt to have that relationship. And I think that's another part of it, too, was he was never okay with this um, power differential of, you know, that she's the therapist and she has more over on him. And he had to kind of level that playing field to feel comfortable enough to open up and to make himself vulnerable. He had to make her exposed first. So that he, it wasn't as scary of a thing to lay out there these things that he's probably never told anybody other than us. Yeah. Wow. Wow, sabotaging it too, though. Yeah, and actually the other part of the interview that I mentioned, and I'm not getting off track here, but the interview with Angie, she was talking about the themes of the show. And she th- says that she thinks the themes of the show are so prevalent that our isolation due to technology where this generation is headed because we're so reliant on and dominated by technology and what the consequences are when you have somebody that has the power to control and manipulate that. And she actually thinks that herself and Elliot's character are very similar. She says, I think they both share this loneliness and need to be integrated into society and validated in some way. I think this has a lot to do with the fact they grew up losing their parents and wanting to have some kind of impact on the corporate America. And they just go about it in completely different ways because their strengths are different. Elliot's able to hack people's lives and um, 
there's also something very manipulative to Angie. So yeah, again, we see that these themes are kind of being put out there and the general loneliness that everybody's feeling. And he, Elliot, feels the need to show his therapist, I know you're not that different and you struggle with those things too. And I just thought that was a really powerful scene and also the way, again, that he has been talking to us interspersed with all of this, us the viewer. Right. Like, are you on her side? I don't know. <laughs> Remember when he says that, when Elliot says to us, the viewer, are you on her side? Yeah. Referencing yeah. a therapist? Oh, that's right. I think I yeah, was. Do we think that, there's, uh, that he wants to do it the right way or get through this? Yeah. Yeah, I think this is his attempt. He wants to try. And Ryan, you, you spoke about View Source, which is the name of the episode, and um, I didn't even see that. Basically, he let her view his source code. Yeah. Right. Another uh, point in the episode where it speaks to the title is when he speaks about when he was younger, he would build websites by completely copying other websites from the internet mm. uh, mm-hmm. and copying their like- source code, which is going to file view source and you see the HTML and you can copy and paste that in. Yeah. I like the site he chose, 2600. It's, uh, that's like a hacking website and they do like a magazine also about different things, way cracking, hacking, freaking, like they used to do uh, all, all that different stuff. So it was pretty cool that he incorporated, that they incorporated that in there. I think they still put out a quarterly magazine. That's awesome. That's a nice little cookie for us. You got all these cookies. I dig it. Do we have anything more to say about this? I have the 10 Easter egg things, but I want to wrap up our... Well, when we were watching the show, you asked me if you could really steal a website that way. And yeah. back in the day, you could because they used yeah. tables mm-hmm. and it was pure HTML. So you could copy it and then the images, you could either save their images or just place it with your own image URLs. Okay. But um, And then change a little bit like the title sequences and the text. But nowadays, you can kind of do it, but you, there's mm-hmm. style sheets and there's, there's uh, program sheets like, sheets like PHP. So you couldn't really get away with it. You could copy some of it, but it would wouldn't really help you out so okay so yes and no you can do it nowadays mm-hmm. well i thought overall these two episodes were amazing the best of the season so far in my opinion they really stepped things up another level yeah and yeah. you love elliot this episode was not very elliot heavy and you and they yeah. still pulled it off they ended it with such an impactful scene it was short it mm-hmm. wasn't heavy but it having it be at the end of the episode and also having it be such a pivotal moment for him. That's what you remember. I think about the episode later on. Yeah. The interaction with him and Krista. So I'm really excited to see where this goes with our last three episodes of this season. Me too. You have a gift for us, don't you? (laughs) I have 10 Easter eggs that you viewers may or may not have realized. Some of them I think we knew about and actually referenced in our last podcast, but I'm going to go through them. Number one are the masks that we see F Society wearing. There's nothing very clever to realizing this here, that the connection is between the Guy Fox masks that they wear and the ones that resemble the rich uncle penny bags of Monopoly game. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Um, number two, we already spoke about that E Corp equals Enron. So the resemblance between the fictional E Corp logo and that of Enron, the energies company involved in one of the largest business scandals in American history. Also, that led us into number three, that Steel Mountain equals Iron Mountain. So mm-hmm. Steel Mountain, the bunker-like data storage facility that Elliott and F Society attempt to access is based on Iron Mountain, a high-security storage company founded in 1951. Ew. Yeah. You knew this, Ryan? Yeah, I knew about Iron Mountain. The next one I had noticed, but I didn't really give it too much thought. It's number four is Elliott CDs. So, U.S. Army Private First Class Manning, then referred to as Bradley Manning, saved 91,000 secret documents to CDs labeled Lady Gaga. Like Manning, Elliot hides his secret files in plain sight, which prevents undue interest in his quote-unquote music collection. And I like the idea that the way he labels them has something to do with what's on them, like we saw him do with his last CD that had the information for Shayla. And that whole yeah. job. But yeah, I you... wasn't sure if uh, if it was just for Shayla that he did that because I didn't know, like with the other people he hacked, I didn't know if there was any relationship between those because he did Pink Floyd's "Wish You Were Here." Yeah, I think one that. Of them, but I think the titles probably have some meaning to him, so that he remembers what's on each of them right. by whatever personal connection he has. I wonder. I'll see if I can find a breakdown of that. That'd be cool. Um, number five is the Omegs. Oh, wait, before you go to number five, remember DJ, when they were in his apartment, he was like, yeah. what, what's with the, don't you have any, uh, rap, uh, rap or, yeah. you know, <laughs> or something? Yeah, that, that was, was funny. funny. I just loved how Elliot came into that scene where he just grabs it out, his, throws it on the floor, kicks it back under his table and he's like, we're, let's go. Yeah. That was <laughs> like, nice. why are you touching my shit? Let's get out of here. <laughs> Very ballsy. Yeah. So, number five, the Omegs. Hector Sabu Monsegur uh, of real-life hacker collective Lulsec gets a nod and a wink early on in Mr. Robot when F-Security discusses the fictional hacker collective, the Omegs, who were sold out to the FBI by their leader. So, that obviously I wouldn't have known about, but that takes us into our number six, Hackers for Hire. The fact that the Dark Army Hacker Collective F Security wants to help take down E Corp could be based on any number of Hackers for Hire found on the Dark Net. This includes IRL Dark Soul, which also appears as the name on an arcade game at F Society's headquarters. I did not notice that. I didn't notice that either. <laughs> Isn't Dark Souls a game? I'm pretty sure it is a real game, though. Um, could be, but that's definitely them throwing yeah. in those Easter yeah. eggs that yeah. I talked about yeah. last episode that you don't have to be a tech person to get this show, but I think they put a lot of stuff in there for the people that are, and they can yeah. pick it out much like Game of Thrones does for its book readers. Mm-hmm. And I always love things like that. Me too. Uh, number seven, we had mentioned Hackers, the movie. The show is happy to point out their realistic depiction of hacking. Um, for example, while Elliot detoxes, Romero and Mobley watch the 95 movie Hackers on TV. Romero says, Hollywood hacker bullshit. I've been in the game 27 years and not once have I ever come across an animated singing virus. <laughs> <laughs> I have. Love that movie. I have. Oh, yeah? Yeah, in Jurassic Park. Uh, oh, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Good call. Uh, number eight is pretty cool. Uh, Resurrection, the book. 
So Resurrection by Leo Tolstoy is the well-worn book we've seen Mr. Robot reading on a number of occasions, if you guys were wondering what that book was. It has oppression, economic inequality, classism, and unfair legal system. Everything Elliot hates most, with the exception of Facebook and Starbucks. (laughs) So yet another tie-in between Elliot and Mr. Robot. It's such a book Elliot would be reading, and yet Christian is the one carrying it around and reading it. Boom. (laughs) Ba-boom. Number nine, Jason pointed out to us last episode that Rami Malek played the educated pharaoh, Achman Ra, in the Night at the Museum series. You are all wondering where Rami comes from. And finally, number 10 is Christian Slater's importance. So casting Christian Slater seems almost a jinx on the surface, given his last few failed attempts at TV. But he remains the countercultural signifier he established as the anarchic would-be terrorist in Heathers. Mr. Robot is the ultimate Easter egg in a show that's all about what's hidden. <laughs> Boom. You know, I, w- I fell asleep the other day to Need for Speed, which I never saw. And Rami Malik is in that, which we have pointed out. But I couldn't, at first I was like, oh, it's, I can't, it's Mr. It's Elliot, it's Elliot. And then he smiles. And I was like, Whoa, broke the doors. It's weird, right? Right there. It's, it's like not a different Elliot. person. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, nope, it's not Elliot. Crazy. Yeah. That's funny. Let's end this podcast with three questions. Okay. Some mind benders, uh, like we did last time, which, by the way, we were spot on again with our answers. Yeah, our predictions last mm-hmm. week, I went back and listened to our podcast and I was like, oh, wow, well, a lot of those actually came to pass. So let's keep making them. Hopefully we're right on these, though. Esmail has been teasing White Rose for some time. The White Roses behind Elliot and Tyrell at the Steel Mountain Suite. Hmm. The White Rose Darlene mentions to Cisco in the library. And now the White Rose, whom F Society will finally meet. Is he or she the leader of the Dark Army? A supreme hacker? What's the deal? Who'd that be? What? I think, I mean, well, we talked about it a little before about it being Johanna. Um, I think, I mean, I, I thought they were bringing it up for her to be the leader of the Dark Army. But if not, actually, it'd probably make more sense if Johanna is just a, a main hacker and not the leader. But my other theory on who it could be is Lloyd. And then it would make sense if he's the leader of the Dark Army. Because they're... It seems like there's a lot of Asian connection there. So, and Lloyd is Asian. And he kind of downplays his character and nobody thinks that he's good enough uh, inside the company. So I thought that would be very yeah. interesting if it was him. Well, yeah, I think we have to assume that it's somebody we've already been introduced to, correct? Right. I think so. That's a great thought. Both of those could work, definitely. Yeah. And they did make him kind of insignificant enough where we'll be like, oh, shit, okay. Because mm. you could tell he knew what he was doing, but he didn't have all that it took that night to fix right. the problem. Yeah. And she had to call him in. I had to call Elliot in because she didn't think that he could handle it. But I could see someone like that being trying to play themselves off as someone just good enough to stay and work there, but not... You know, not he doesn't want to set off any flags that he's so good that it's obvious that it's him. Right. Oh, what if it's Angela? <laughs> just nah, she's no, not good I'm enough. I'm just kidding. 
Maybe it is. It um, what's his name? Kobe or Kobe? Yeah, Bryant? Terry Colby. Maybe he actually is the hacker. Oh, he... <laughs> that would be crazy. Again, I don't see him as being smart <laughs> enough either in that no. sense. Oh my God, that'd be crazy too, though. Yeah. Oh, what if it's Gideon? <laughs> I thought about Gideon for a minute, but they portrayed him as such the good guy yeah. um, type of f- figure that I, I, I don't know. I just don't see that flip happening for us completely out of nowhere. No, I would be shocked if it was him. All right. Question number two. What is Cisco planning? He's obviously pissed Darlene hacked his operating system and pretended to be him in the Dark Army IRC. So why seek out Ali? And what about his reference to coming to a shitstorm? Yeah, I don't know that it's as much about him being pissed that Darlene hacked his computer. He clearly is because it seems they have a long history of things like this happening. And that's why he wants to end the relationship. But I think he's more concerned that this person is dangerous. And if he had known, he would have never advised her to do this. And she's about to get herself in a world of trouble by having dealings with these people. I agree. But then why did he reach I out to I just think Ali? he's still, like, into her, but, you know, like, knows it can never... It's never going to work because she's, like, the way she is. Yeah, but he's still concerned for her for this right. meeting. Um, and clearly he's been using Ollie t- to get his dirty work done in the past. Mm-hmm. So I don't know exactly what he's planning where that's concerned, but I think he wants to continue using him in that way. So that's why he reached out to him? Maybe. Well, he is the connection into the, the company and he's, you know, an idiot. So right. he's going to be a little more gullible. Yep. He does what is he, he not wants fired him yet? to do. I d- they haven't shown that to have happened. I don't know. Yeah. He, he came out of there, so it seems like they're all still... Wow. Okay. And uh, it's been 30 days, so if he was going to be fired, he would have been. Don't you think? Yeah. yeah, you would think so. Yeah. And then finally, where does Tyrell go from here? Like, what do you guys foresee happening after he's done uh, all this? I don't know. I've, yeah, I've been thinking about that, and I just don't know. Like, like you said, um, I think that clearly Joanna will give him an alibi, and legally he probably can't be found at fault for any of this but I think Scott is now gonna launch a campaign to ruin his life in whatever way he can um even if he becomes he gets this higher position within the company I don't think it's ever gonna be enough for him or for Joanna this is what they live for it's it's never gonna be good enough and I think he's gonna have a breakdown at some point and I think he's also on a collision course with Elliot in a way that we haven't seen what that's going to be yet, but their arcs, like you say, their character arcs have been kind of similar, and they've both been headed for a breakdown. I think Elliot might be able to pull his shit together and channel it for the purpose of the F Society cause, but I think that Tyrell will not be able to do that. We will see him have a total meltdown. Well, I was always wondering if this would kind of like if they would ever meet up and I always thought that it was going to be as I said before uh, Tyrell versus Elliot but the with the way that it broke down for the first time I started thinking about what if they joined forces 
more or less, to take down E-Corp. So this oh. is something because this, like, he's not getting the way, you know, moving up the way he wants to if he starts looking for another way. Or if he starts getting, you know, trying to take it out on them maliciously. Yeah, well, because early on, Tyrell tried to make that relationship happen by bringing Elliot into his cause. And that right. didn't work. Um, so that kind of put them on opposing sides. If it was for Elliot's cause, I could certainly see Terrell getting desperate enough to make that move, but I don't think Elliot would be amenable to that idea. Yeah, that's true. Good thoughts, guys. Love it. <laughs> that concludes this episode, and we'll be back for episode eight and nine. So in two weeks, we'll be back for Mr. Robot. Yeah, we'll do an 8 and 9 review and then a 10 review. Hopefully give the finale a little more time. Ryan, you'll be back for that? Of course. Awesome. Love it. All right, till next time. This round is on me. The rhythm of my life, 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 my life. Oh, yeah. That's, that should be the opening. That's the new song. <laughs> Try again.